Hey, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish here with the Lazy D&D Talk Show. In this weekly show, we talk about all things D&D. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. If you want to help support shows like this, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash slyflourish and becoming a patron. Patrons get access to all kinds of exclusive stuff, early previews of things, exclusive content, but most of all, they help me put on shows like this. You can also help me out by uh, checking out the Lazy DM's Companion Kickstarter. This Kickstarter is coming out in basically two days. It's coming out, I think, 1 p.m. Eastern on uh, the 28th, so just two days away. I'm freaking out. I'm very nervous, but it's going to be awesome. And I'm very excited for it as well. If you are live on Twitch right now or you're watching this video a little early, you can help me out by going to this preview page right here and clicking notify me on launch. You do that and you will get an email as soon as the Kickstarter goes live and you can go and check it out. And you can download the 18 page, 18, 17 page, I think it's 17 page, 17 page preview of the Lazy DM, the Lazy DM's Companion, which is packed with stuff you can use right away. So even though it is a preview for the rest of the book, it is a usable artifact all on its own. I'm pasting the link into the Twitch chat so you guys can click on that and be notified on launch. We have 2,800 people that have already uh, clicked on the notify me, which is awesome. That's, that's, I'm so excited. And I'm just really excited for this Kickstarter. It's crazy. It's going to be fun. There's lots of great stuff in this book and uh, lots of good ways to get involved in all things Lazy DM if you are not yet fully on board the, the Lazy DM bandwagon. So, so I'm excited for that. I don't know if I have any other news about that in particular. We've been scrambling around. I'm working with Nord. Nord Games is doing a lot. So I'm actually working with a couple different groups. I'm working with Nord Games and then through Nord, I'm working with Backerkit. So there's a lot of different things that are new to me for running this Kickstarter. And Nord has done all of the graphic design of the Kickstarter. They've done all of the production on the video, all sorts of stuff like that. So we've been, we've been working really hard to make it a very cool Kickstarter page. And uh, patrons have seen a preview those who have been hanging out in the patron discord have seen a uh, the preview of the kickstarter page they've offered a lot of really useful feedback so thanks to all of you who were able to provide feedback on the kickstarter page itself to make sure that it is nailing it because we really want to nail it so i'm i'm very i'm very excited for it it's 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 cool stuff so yes what else plane breaker so i want to talk about kickstarters let's talk about some other people's kickstarters too there are two other kickstarters that caught my attention recently and i'm excited for one is by monty cook games i'm a big fan of monty cook games these are their monty cook was a developer on the third edition of DD. he developed a company called monty cook games they did a excellent rpg called numenera i did an in-depth preview an in-depth spotlight of numenera a couple shows back so if you want to take a look at that it's on youtube and I highly recommend it. And they do tremendous Kickstarters. They do really, really cool Kickstarters. And they did a Kickstarter. They're getting ready to launch a Kickstarter for a thing called Plane Breaker. Plane Breaker is a 5e campaign. So it's suitable for, for 5e. And uh, Monty Cook Games has dipped their toe in this as well. Not, I'd say more than dipped their toe, right? They did a very, very successful Kickstarter for a thing called Arcana of the Ancients, which was a Kickstarter that brought Numenera-like sensibilities to 5e. And I used it a lot for my Eberron game, and I thought it worked really well. So I'm very excited for this. And it is all about an alien moon that is smashing through the planes of existence. I'm a sucker for alien moons. I love evil, sentient alien moons crashing through the universe because they're just so big and so 
otherworldly and it's like it doesn't matter what your little mortal minds think this moon is coming and getting ready to barrel through your world so i love that idea it's big in shadow of the demon lord another rpg that i that i pre that i put a spotlight on uh it i mean you would certainly so mestigar asked does it have cultists if it doesn't i'm bringing cultists because we all know how i feel about cultists i love cultists and why wouldn't you if you have a giant moon that's coming in to smash through the planes you'd probably worship it some people would right so anyway i don't know much about the plane i don't know much about this kickstarter other than it is a 5e kickstarter about the uh, alternate planes of existence in 5e and and kind of wrapped around this idea of a giant alien moon that's that's smashing through the multiverse so i'm on board right i'm ready to back it and and i've never been disappointed with any money cook kickstarter that i've backed and i've backed many many of them and i and i love them dearly so that's one the other one is for my friends at dwarven forge so i am i kind of speak out of two sides of my mouth on dwarven forge and on terrain in general right i don't believe you need terrain to actually run a great game and then i also drop lots of money on dwarven forge terrain because i think their terrain is really cool and i do like their terrain very much it's almost like its own separate hobby so dwarven forge has i wouldn't say a problem but like one of the scopes of dwarven forge is that it's sort of like you're either in it or you're not and if you're in it you're all in it right that you can't just sort of dip your toe and it's not the kind of thing where you can spend 30 bucks and get a little bit of dwarven forge and you're fine it's like if you're going to do anything with dwarven forge you need to spend at least 300 bucks probably more 500 bucks would be a good amount and then it goes up from there right and it can go up significantly and if you look at their kickstarters i think they're last kickstarter for wildlands the average pledge was twelve hundred dollars or something so it's very high-end DD stuff but they are doing they wanted to do a kickstarter in between their big terrain kickstarters uh that offered something for not everybody but maybe a lot of people and so what they did is this thing called reliquaries and the kickstarter has not started yet i don't think it's coming out for about another month and the idea of reliquaries is that anybody could buy it it's not just for it's not just for dms it is for dms and players and it is stands for your dice right it's a little way to kind of display your favorite die so you could have this on front of you and put your d20 on it right and there's different styles and there, there are many different styles right so it isn't like if you went all in again It'd be like 1200 bucks. I think he actually mentioned that on a stream that Nate, Nate Taylor mentioned on the stream that the high end could be pretty expensive, but it doesn't have to be. And you could buy one little thing that you really dig and it's like 25, 30 bucks. And I think probably about 30 bucks, right? And 30 bucks and you put it on and you have a little thing to hold your die. The cool bit that I, that grabs me is like, okay, that's cool, but I'm not really a big dice collector. I've got fancy dice and I, you know, I like them, but you know, I like terrain, right? And all of these different bits of reliquary are also all the reliquaries are intended to can be used as terrain in your setup as well. And what I like about this is you can use them like set pieces. So even if you have no other 3D terrain, if you're just using a dry erase map and drawing something, you could still drop in these pieces in the middle and it builds like a set piece. And that set piece is very evocative and can be used as like a combat mechanic thing, but could also just be used as a story thing. You've got some kind of thing in front of you that uh, kind of draws the players together. So it acts as a prop. Is it cheap? Probably still not cheap. Is it approachable? It's certainly more approachable, I think, for, for, for people, especially if you like want to get involved. You might say, all I want is that dwarven statue. I'm going to pay 40 bucks for the dwarven statue, and then you're done. So, yeah, so they're just getting started with it. The Kickstarter's not for, like, I think a month or so, but I'm on board with that as well, and I think that's really cool. There's, there's also something about using terrain in ways that isn't just, like, a combat map, right? Like, I talk about Theater of the Mind for combat all the time, and I think, obviously, Theater of the Mind works for lots of other areas, too. But there's definitely something about, like you know, drawing in people's imaginations in other ways. And I've used Dwarven Forge terrain for exploration, right? I've used Dwarven Forge for 
for role playing, right? That you can still have miniatures to kind of show what the what what it looks like when they go into this area. Anyway, so uh, I'm excited for that Kickstarter as well. Those are those are two other Kickstarters that I heard about this past week that I really like. So. The other big topic is on Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Uh, Wild Beyond the Witchlight has come out. This is Wizards of the Coast's latest hardcover adventure. I, yesterday, went to my local game shop and picked up my special edition cover of Wild Beyond the Witchlight. But I was, I, I do, I did have access to the uh, D&D Beyond. And full disclosure, I, I, I received that having been a, I forget, like a veteran of D&D Beyond. I, I wrote for D&D Beyond, so I get access to their material uh, without having to buy it. So... Keep that in mind. But I did buy this book and I bought it with my own hard-earned cash. So the so I had a chance to read it over the weekend or over the week, right? I, over the week I've been I've been kind of going through. I read all of chapter one and two. And I really dig it. I, you know, when I picked up Descent into Avernus, when I picked up Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, and I opened the books, I kind of immediately hit things. I was like, oh, really? That's what we're going to do, right? Like I kind of hit things that I immediately knew I was going to have problems with. I knew as soon as I looked at Sephic Caltro that the whole way that that quest works wasn't going to be good. I was pretty sure that I was confused about how to run 12 quests for three levels of play in Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. I was also pretty sure about Descent into Avernus. I think even before I read it, when I just was hearing about how it was structured, and I was like, why would characters that got conscripted by the Flaming Fist care about a city that got sucked into hell so much so that they'd be willing to go down into hell to save it? spoilers for Descent and Avernus. So I knew that there were like fundamental problems that I was going to have to deal with when I ran those campaigns. I do not find any of those fundamental problems when I look at Wild Beyond the Witch Light. I think that there, it is, it is a, it is a very specific style of adventure. I was talking a little bit with my friend Enrique, uh, Enrique Bertrand, the newbie DM. He and I were chatting on Twitter a little bit and you know, his thought was like, boy, if you if you have a player who shows up with like their champion or their battle master fighter and they're really ready to kind of see all their maneuvers and then they jump into this adventure, they're not going to be happy. And I was like, yeah, if I'm like, if you if your players come to the table and they've already made characters, it's probably not going to work out right if they don't know what it is. And so it is a very specific kind of adventure that you're going to want to make sure you've talked to your players about. They understand what kind of adventure it is. And you're going to want to do character building during session zero. And you're going to want to recognize that, like, there may be no combat at all in this entire adventure. And that isn't for everybody, right? Like, it's not that you can't have it. It's not that it won't occur. It, but it it is possible. And certainly players, I've seen this with players, but even when they like combat, they still... Their characters seek out the non-combat option. And in this case, there are all non-combat options. So that, I mean, we're going to talk a lot more about this adventure uh, as we go. But but the main thing is when I read it, it works, right? It's very solid. It's beautiful, of course. It, it definitely hits my, you know, I kept talking about, boy, it'd sure be nice if Wizards didn't do an adventure that was grim, dark, nasty stuff, right? And it is not. It is really the opposite of that. So much so that it's it's like going through Peter Pan. It's like going through... Wizard of Oz. It's it's like going through all of these like high fantasy stories. And that's great. It's really cool. It's it's not kind of core D&D. So like I think about it and I don't know that there's cultists in it at all. I haven't seen a cultist yet. There's some cool villains, that's for sure, but I haven't seen any cultists. So combat is still possible, yes. Uh, I think if you went in there with your blades swinging high, cutting the heads off of things, that you'd probably be missing part of the adventure. 
you know, I think you'd be missing kind of the style of the adventure. Scipio brings up Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, a lot of people bring up Alice in Wonderland. There's definitely some of that, but they also, I, I know Alice in Wonderland was the motivation for Out of the Abyss as well. They wanted Out of the Abyss to kind of feel like Alice in Wonderland, and I think I think it did. So, yeah, so anyway, the, the, yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of outside the bounds of, not outside the bounds of D&D, because D&D is super wide, but it's not, you know, you think about like mainstream D&D, and then I would think like Lost Mine of Fandelver, I think Dragon of Survivor Peak, Maybe Horde of the Dragon Queen, maybe Storm King's Thunder. There's like certain adventures that are like straightforward. I, a Tomb of Annihilation, I'd say, was a pretty straightforward D&D adventure, right? They feel like D&D. And then there's other ones that are not published by Wizards of the Coast, like Scarlet Citadel by Kobold Press or Shadowed Keep in the Borderlands. These are both books that I've that I've done spotlights on in, in previous episodes. You can take a look at those. But those are like mainstream sort of D&D. You go to a dungeon. There's a small town. You know, you're doing, you're, you're doing things. And those feel like straightforward D&D adventures. This is not a straightforward D&D adventure, but it is really cool. I do not have any, having read chapter one and two, I know how to run them. Uh, they have all of the tools that I need in order to run it. There's no like weird gaps where I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do with this? You know, I, I, I think that they are very solid. I think the only thing that maybe the adventure didn't spend quite enough time on is like it really could benefit from a little section about a session zero about building your characters together to, to fit this particular adventure because it is such a particular kind of adventure. But I really but I really dig it. So an interesting thing. So this past weekend, starting on Thursday, I think Thursday was like the pre and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday is the D&D celebration. This is Wizards of the Coast put on a online virtual convention that is kind of focused on a lot of the new D&D stuff coming out. Big focus on Witchlight, but a lot of talk about other things and they also had a bunch of games and they they had i don't remember exactly how it played out because i signed up for them so long ago but you could sign up and play and they had an epic and i was actually surprised i played the epic yesterday morning at 9 a.m i had a wonderful dm i'll talk about i'll talk about the dm that i had because he's got a dungeon craft product and i had a wonderful dm and it was a really good time and i was very surprised that it is chapter one from the book the epic wasn't a separate kind of D&D Adventures League adventure that was on its own. It is the first chapter. So it was, not, I wouldn't say a bummer, because it didn't bother me. It's very funny. So I had read chapter one, right? Because I'm planning to DM it. And I didn't know that the epic was going to be chapter one, or I probably would have waited. But I didn't. I had read it. So I knew what was going on, and I knew what was happening. And the only thing that I thought when I was running it was like, wow, my wife is playing this later today, and she's going to get completely spoiled on the adventure, that I'm going to run for her in a few months, right? And, and when we're done with Frostmaiden. So I'm like, is that going to be a problem? But it wasn't, a, I realized later, wait, I didn't, I still had a really good time and I knew what was going on. So I talked to her after, right before I warned her, I said, hey, I'm going to warn you, the epic you're about to play is the first chapter of the book and, and has a lot of spoilers for all of the other stuff in the book. And she's like, well, I'm playing anyway. I said, I know, I'm just letting you know. And then later we talked about it. We talked about what my character did. We talked about what her character did. And, and she kind of agreed that, yeah, I said, can you, can you play this again? And she says, sure, I'll have a new character. And that's what I thought about. It's like, if you bring in a new character and you get into the mind of your character, even if you are, even if you've run it, even if you've played the adventure before, you can still enjoy it again. And the surprises aren't huge, but there's some kind of big, there's sort of big surprises that go on. So I was very surprised that the D&D Celebration Epic was in fact chapter one, but it also meant that I got to play it as well as, as run it. And, and, I, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. So today for the spotlight, we're, I'm changing things a little bit. I don't know if I'm changing it that much. But one of the things about the, you know, the D&D celebration and while beyond the witch light is that there is a new kind of version of the, D &D, of the DM Adepts, the DM Guild Adept program called the Dungeon Craft, the Dungeon Craft 
products. They are a select group of 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 proven adventure writers that were wrangled together by by Lisa Penrose, who is the community manager for the DMs Guild, and it's under OBS. It is not under Wizards of the Coast, which is pretty interesting. And a select group of authors were brought in. They were I don't I don't know what happened on the inside. So I don't know like did they get early access to material? Did they get early access to art or anything like that? I know that the art that are in the adventures are original. So I don't know that they got access to Wizards of the Coast artwork for this like the DM Guild adepts did. But they came out with a whole series of adventures and you can tell like look the style is all together. These are I think it's also the this program the Dungeon Craft program is also a version of the community the, the the cccs the adventures league and i don't remember what ccc stands but they are adventures league legal adventures i think there are eight of these adventures one two three four five six seven eight yes there are eight of these adventures they're written by a lot of authors that i that i know some of the authors i don't and many of them are very kind enough to send me preview copies of these so i have had a chance to just glance at them so i haven't i, I wouldn't even necessarily call this a spotlight but I did open them up. I did read the summaries of the adventures and I did skim through to take a look at them. I have I have some of them here. So here, for example, is uh, the Ember Keem by Bianca Bickford. And it is, you know, they have very, really, really beautiful layout, beautiful design. They all have a very similar format to how they uh, are presented, which I, 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 I like a lot. You know, you know, they, they tell you how long things should take, which is wonderful, right? This I was I've been talking about pacing. We talked a lot about pacing. And I think like knowing how long an adventure is supposed to go is really important. Really kind of fun stuff. Part part one, part two. I think this one is designed as a, a two hour first level adventure. Really, really cool. Called the Ember King. So they all kind of fit this this same style. I find that familiar. So Paul, Paul Gabbett was my dungeon master for the epic yesterday. Tremendous dungeon master. He was hysterical. And it, we had such a great time. He did a really, really good job uh, running running the adventure. I loved it. I had a great time. I loved talking about it with my wife later. So he wrote, I find that familiar. A, a you know, Feywild Dungeoncraft adventure. So these are all Adventures League legal. Beautiful art. You know, the art is just really, really cool. The style is really cool. You know, I really, I really love it. And uh, so there are eight of these. This is a bigger, a uh, 41 page event. Ooh, that's a big one. I think it's a one to a first through fourth level adventure, four hour adventure for first or fourth level characters. The Great Toy Escape by Jackie, Jackie, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to totally butcher, Jackie Leung. Crumbling Castles and Candy Clouds, Emily Harmon, uh, Stitch in Time by Kat Kruger, and Monsters of Wandaria by Anthony Joyce. I think Justice Armand also sent me his. I don't remember where I put it. I lost Justice's. Sorry, Justice. But they are, yeah. So all of them are very cool. And and they do have this like very clean, like let's take a quick look through 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 this one. You know, like, you know, adventure primer, you know, good good things. Background at overview adventure hooks. Like right up the front above the front tells you how this thing is going to is going to play out, right? Tells you how you're going to run this thing. Most of them have how you can run this without combat as as a dis, you know, as a description. And all of them can be found on the dungeon. If you go to Dungeon Masters, go front page. There's a Dungeon Craft Spotlight ribbon right at the top where you have them all. You can click see all because there's only eight and all eight of them are there. They run, I think, six to eight bucks, depending on them. Yeah, about six to eight dollars. And there are eight of them. So, yeah, highly recommend it. They, they, you know, I think they look really cool. Uh, I would definitely, if you if you like them, yep, somebody already pasted the link. I just did it again. You know, pick them up. Pick up the first one. Take a look at it. See if you dig the the style. You know, see, see how, if it's the kind of adventure that you would want to run in your campaign. Pick up the other ones because they, they, you know, design is really good. I haven't run them. I haven't even fully read them. 
so I can't give a full review of them or even a deep spotlight, but I really liked what I saw. And I think it's very interesting to see a new sort of, you know, community program, a sort of moderated community program where authors are selected for it. They're brought together. They're given same, you know, similar styles, similar formats, similar, similar work to put it together. I think it's a really cool, a really cool way to do it. So I wanted to, I wanted to talk about that today. Yesterday, at evening for me, about six o'clock, I was on a, a panel talking about, it was a DM panel talking about immersion and boy, lots of, you know, the, the, the people that were on that panel, I was, I was quite intimidated by the list of people on the panel. And it was really a very interesting topic talking about immersion. I, I spent a fair bit of time doing some homework on the topic. I went to Twitter and kind of asked people what were the top things for immersion that they brought up. Some really interesting things that came up on the panel itself. So it was uh, Brandy Camel was the moderator for it. Myself, James Hake, Jasmine Bueller, Abria Iyengar, and Carlos Luma were all on this panel. So a lot of people from the streaming community, uh, James from the design, professional design community. I don't know how the hell I got on the panel. And uh, Brandy is a community manager for D&D. So uh, it was a really fun conversation, really interesting stuff. Hard, hard to do an hour with six people talking about this kind of thing, because, you know, there's a reason why I have an hour long talk show and it's just me. And it's because I can fill up an hour by myself. So really hard to, to, to kind of get in there and to make sure my, my goal was really to try to offer some practical you know, some practical tips for what DMs can do for immersion. I, I will bring up some things that I wasn't, that I, that I didn't really have a chance to bring up that, that came from my research, research, right? Came from studying the 130 replies that I got to the tweet asking about immersion. And there are four things, there, there are four like easy, easy sort of topics. And James mentioned one of them a couple of times. And the four ones are music, maps, and props right? And actually all of these are covered in Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. I have an other high value preparation activity chapter in Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master that talks specifically about these things. And uh, yeah, so Abria brought up smells that she used, she used scented candles to represent different things in the world and that she could actually light a candle and, <laughs> and the players would go, oh my God, the villain's coming. And I was like, wow, that is, that is amazing. So, you know, I, I dig scented candles don't work really well in my, in my house. So I don't think I'm going to do that, but I thought it was a really neat, <laughs> I thought that was a tremendously neat idea. But yeah, it's something that came up again and again among various DMs who talked about this topic when I brought up the topic on Twitter was, you know, music and background music artwork showing off showing off art maps and props right and all of those are like different ways to kind of bring those senses in right they're different ways to sort of you know hit the hit the player from different sides to really to really add immersion to it and didn't really you know, music came up a couple of times during it and then a lot of other interesting ideas uh, came up during the panel but we didn't really talk about like that and so those are those are definitely you know, four common areas that other DMs find. And then the, the one kind of main tip that I brought up, which I brought up in the, in the, in the panel was the idea of visualizing things like, like as a, both as a player and a DM, think about putting yourself in the shoes of your characters and thinking about what they're seeing when they go. And uh, Carlos actually brought up the, he's got aphantasia. I think it, I don't know how to pronounce it, aphantasia, where it's, it's an inability to visualize things. Right. And it's about, you know, I think it's about two or 3% of the population has this and it's come up definitely in D and D where, and I hear it a lot when I talk about theater of the mind combat and people say, look, I cannot, you describe what it looks like. I, I can't visualize that. Right. I, I, I physically can't. And that's a, a real concern. So that's why things like maps and artwork and other sort of visual, you know, a, a props, like even if you had like a map 
that was in world, right? Where it, like, it was like on parchment paper, like it was drawn by a scout that showed something. That would be a good way to bring people and immerse them into the game that, that can't visualize things. So yeah, so really good, really good discussion. But yeah, that, that idea of like, if you can, if you're, if you're able and, and you know, yeah, if you're not of the 3% that can't visualize things, putting yourself in the minds of the, the characters, both your, your player character, if you're, if you're a player, or as a DM, like sit yourself down and like, what do these doors look like when I'm looking at them, right? What does this room look like? What's going on here? You know, how tall are the ceiling? Like put yourself in it and think about it, right? And you can do a lot of immersion through that. So yes, and, and Brielle says, it sounds like you all need more Dwarven Forge. I think we all do, right? Uh, have to mortgage the house, maybe sell the car. And uh, yeah, grab some Dwarven Forge. Or maybe just get the one little prop that they're gonna that they're gonna sell. Anyway, fantastic panel. I was I was very honored to be on the panel. I hope I was definitely had the worst camera of all of the people there. Certainly the, <laughs> the worst comp composition of the camera because we couldn't quite clip the sides. So that was a bummer. But yeah, it was really fun to do. And I'm sure there'll be a dedicated YouTube video. I will link to the dedicated YouTube video. But in the meantime, it's like at the, tw the seven hour, seven hour, 30 minute mark in the day long video that they, that they shot. So that was, that was lots of fun. So speaking of Adventurers League, the new rules are out and I'm going to start with the positive. Uh, they are great, right? The new Adventurers League rules, which are available to everybody. I will paste this link uh, into the chat and I will link it to in the show notes below. They are great, you know, and, and I'm trying so hard not to say finally, right? <laughs> it only took six years, but we got here. I don't know why it took so long. But we're here, and, and they're really, really good. So uh, Player's Guide to the Forgotten Realms is version 11. And easy AL, finally. Like, it's, it's hard, right? It's really hard for me not to be cynical about it. I, I don't want to be, because they're good, and I'm glad they're good, right? And we want to bring people into this hobby, and this is a great way to bring them in. And they work really well. And it's basically like there's no limitations on gold. There's no real limitations on magic. There, there's limited, like, there's, like, the golf bag magic item thing where you have so many magic items that you can bring on an adventure limited by tier, right? They didn't limit, they didn't limit the levels of, un, of, of, of items like uncommon, rare, or, or very rare, or legendary or anything to tier. I think I'd have been okay if they had, but I get, you know, like, okay, less, you know, generally speaking, I'm like less limits, the better. Only put in a limitation in place if you need it. They got rid of the whole like weird seasonality stuff. Thank God. Right. No one thought, I don't know why that was considered to be a good idea. You level at the end of an adventure. That's so great. Like, no, you know, it's, it's very, very fast. It's very streamlined. And a big thing is you can now start at fifth level, right? You can just grab a player and start at fifth level, which, you know, took a long time. They didn't want to do that for the longest time. Now you can, right? It is. I, I have a funny story to tell, which is the new rules came out and I was playing in my first game yesterday, no, day before yesterday or yesterday. God, all the days are blending together. I guess it was yesterday morning. And I made a character for it and I had already violated the AL rules because I used stuff from Van Richten's guide. I wanted to have a Hexblood <laughs> and you can't use Hexblood in Forgotten Realms. It was like, oh no, I already violated, I already violated stuff, right? So, because yeah, it's not one of the books. Uh, what rule book should I use? It has a big list and it's not in there, right? And I guess for, but I was like, oh, I wanted a Hexblood. So I just made her a half elf, right? And it worked fine. It was like five seconds, or, not five seconds, it was a couple minutes for me to change up. But I was bummed because I wanted a hex blood because I thought it would fit the adventure really well. So already it's like, well, you have limitations on books. 
Why? Anyway, they, 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 I think they wanted to get it down to a single page front and back, and it's three pages, but holy cow, it's still really fast, right? It's, it's, it's very straightforward. So I, I applaud them. I applaud Wizards of the Coast. I applaud the Adventurers League, the administrators for the Adventurers League for finally coming, finally, I can't help but say finally, for coming together and putting together an excellent set of rules. I don't think I've got any real complaints about them at all. I'm just, you know, I think it's, it's so much easier to bring people into D&D. It's so much easier to offer this up to new players to say, hey, do you want to join? Here's how you make a character and here's how you go. There's none of this like, oh, well, if you played in Icewind Dale and then you play in Candlekeep, you can't then go back to Icewind Dale because that's you know, you've gone from seasonal to masters, right? Like, why would you do that? So that's that I'm 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 pleased. I think I think it's they are they are excellent. They're excellent stuff. Yeah. But boy, it was it was a hard road. It's a hard road getting here. So, wow, it is. We are halfway through the show, and we're we're getting to questions. Remember last week when it was like we had four minutes left to get to to get to questions from it? But I got a lot of questions, and then I got a topic. If we, I don't think we're going to run through every single question. I try to put more stuff in here than pacing. Says Sunjammer. Yeah, we are. We are, I've learned how to pace. I've learned how to pace the show. I don't know. I got through stuff quick. Sharon C, my, my friend Sharon, asks, uh, is, the, is the hybrid in-person and online con model here to stay? Yes. Uh, I actually did a little bit of homework about this. I happened to talk to David Christ. Uh, David Christ is the head of Baldman Games. He is the bald man of Baldman Games. And he runs more D&D games than I'm pretty sure anyone on the planet. I'm pretty sure that's true. I think more. I think he's running more D&D games, overseeing more D&D games than anyone else on the planet. I have talked to David before about the, the lazy DM do homework. It, you know the key to being a lazy DM? I'm not, I am a lazy DM. I'm not a lazy content producer, I don't think. I try to work really hard to make stuff to help other lazy DMs. So I had the opportunity to talk to David about this very question on Friday. And David runs more games than anybody else on the planet. I've talked to David before. He also surveys more DMs, he knows about what players say about DMs more than anybody else on the planet. It's not exactly accurate to like use that and then put it on every DM on the planet because it's organized play stuff, but he has a lot of experience with this. David is running, I don't know why I was able to chat with him on Friday, but I was. It was part of a group discussion. And he was in the middle of running the D&D celebration he had just run Gen Con. He actually was physically at Gen Con and came back from Gen Con. So he had some thoughts about that. And Origins is next weekend. And he's like, I don't know. I'll figure that out when I figure And his answer was yes, absolutely. The hybrid model is definitely here to stay. Uh, it has worked really well. It has opened up a lot of doors that had been closed up until now. So, you know, COVID is horrible, right? And and it's it's killed, a, you know, a staggering amount of people. And it's changed our world completely, permanently. There are some things that have happened that have changed for the better. I don't know how to say that without sounding morbid, right? But one of the examples is it opened up some doors. And some of the doors it opened is that, you know, when we get back to the thing, and there were many online games, right? There were many games, there were many games that took place at the convention physically, and then many games that took place online at Gen Con, you know, physically at Gen Con and online at Gen Con. And for, for one, from a business perspective, why wouldn't you run online games, right? If the money is coming in and they're, they're, they're probably easier to run. You don't have limitations on space. You don't have to figure out tables. You don't have to rent ballrooms, right? There's all kinds of stuff that you don't have to do when you're running online conventions. But one of the big ones is you can have players all over the world playing and running games. I mentioned the DM, which one was it? 
Uh, I mentioned Paul, Paul Gabbett was my DM. Paul is from, I think, uh, is he Indonesia? I don't remember. He's international. He's in the East, right? I forget exactly where he's from. He wouldn't be able to play a game in person, right? And so we had a game that was completely international. It was 9 p.m. for him. It was 9 a.m. for me, right? And so, yeah, so that there's definitely, I mean, the short answer to that question is yes, absolutely. There's going to be an online con model. And then I asked, I asked uh, Dave, like, you know, is, so he, I think they now run a, a monthly, there's now sort of a monthly Adventures League game go, that goes on. So I got monthly game day or monthly game weekend, I guess, where like one weekend a month, they're playing regular games. So it's like a convention every month, right? And, and you, anybody can sign up. It costs a little bit of money, but not much. It's pretty cheap. And there's all this opportunity. So I asked Dave, I was like, is there a, you know, is there a way to keep the party continually going, right? Like, how can you keep it so the convention's going every day of the week, right? Every day of the year. And he's like, yeah, we've been definitely talking about that. Like, how do we set up a system where basically, you know, it's sort of, and then you think about like start playing games, right? I've, I've talked about start playing games before. Start playing games is a website that you can go to and sign up. And there are DMs offering games and players can sign up for these games. And there's kind of nobody in the way between your players who want to play a game and your DM who wants to run a game and they can get together. Some of them are free. Some of them cost money. Some of them cost a lot of money. You, you decide which ones you want to join. And, you know, it's, that's pretty awesome, right? DMs get reviewed. They, they, they talk about what they, they talk about what they do. I, I have friends. In fact, I think this very Sharon C who asked this question is in fact a DM on Start Playing Games. And I know she's run games there. I don't know if she's still running games. because I think she's back to running games in person now. So that it's, it's a kind of the whole online gaming thing has really exploded. And it is one thing you can say about like the timing of COVID was like 10 years ago, we couldn't have done it, right? Like 10 years ago, I don't think the technology was in place for us to really be able to run games online like we did. And then COVID hit when it hit and we had Discord and we had Roll20 and we had Zoom and we had all of these collaboration tools and we had all of these other tools that we were able to use. And boy, like Albert Rodeo came out of COVID, right? These are the couple people in Australia, a couple in Australia that said, we want an easy VTT and there isn't really one. So we're going to make one and we're stuck at home. So they did, right? I'll start playing games, came out of this, right? Came out of this, came out of, came out of COVID really. So, you know, yeah, the online model is here to stay. Like I know that I'm now going to be running a hybrid in, hopefully, a hybrid in-person online game from now on. Like my Sunday game, which used to be in a local game shop, a lot of people had to drive pretty far to get there. And we talked about it and we talked about, are we going to get back together again? And we kind of said, you know, it's a lot easier running online and we're not really missing anything. So why don't we just stay this way? So that that game is going to be an online, an online game, which is kind of a bummer because I liked running games in the store. So I have to figure that out. My Wednesday game, I really hope, and I'm kind of driving for, we want to get back at the table. We did get back to the table for, I think, two sessions. And then the Delta spike shot way up. And we're like, I'm not comfortable back at the table again. So now we're back to not playing in person. I'm really hoping the numbers fall back down again. And we get to the point where we feel safe among each other. We're all vaccinated, right? Everybody at the table is vaccinated anyway. Still, you know, it's still freaky. So I'm hoping that those numbers drop and I'm hoping we'll be back at the table soon. But yeah, the hybrid in-person online convention model is here to stay, I think. Some cons are trying to figure it out more than others. Uh, I know David Christ, who runs a lot of online games for conventions, he's got the infrastructure now to do it. They, the Epic yesterday ran really well. It was really, really fun. 
And yeah, it worked. It worked tremendously. DMs get to choose the tools that they want to use to run. So uh, Paul used uh, the reason I picked Paul out is because he used Albert Rodeo. And it's like, yay, Albert Rodeo, right? And he's like, no one knows about this. I'm like, I know about Albert Rodeo. So that worked really well. So Sharon, I hope that answered. Tim S asks, do you create and track fronts when you are running a published adventure? Yes, I do. I'd really like a video tutorial on how to run a pre-written adventure from start to finish. So that's, that's two questions, Tim, but we'll give you a pass. Fronts, yes. So when we're talking about fronts, the term front, I think comes from Apocalypse World, but I sort of picked it up from Dungeon World. And I've, I talk about it in Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. And I've mentioned that I'm trying to get away. Yeah, exactly. Define a front for us newbies. I'm trying to get away from using the term front because it is jargon. And I want to get away from jargon because it, it, it creates a barrier between people who don't understand what you're talking about and people who do, right? And why are we putting up a barrier like that? We're talking about villains or threats. I've heard of, we've been, we've been throwing around a bunch of different terms for it. They're essentially, I, I think I'm sticking with villains, but threat also works. And it's basically, or, you know, movers, but then that's also kind of jargony. Essentially, when we're talking about a front, we're talking about the big villains of a campaign. And, and in Return and in Dungeon World and the Apocalypse World games, it's mostly like you have three of these. Like, who are the three big villains in your game? I'll give my example from my Eberron game. In my Eberron game, I had uh, Leto Skull was one villain he was sort of his own villain i had the orum this powerful sort of corrupt super rich group of conspiracy people was another front and the droam the monstrous the daughters of sorakal and the droam was like another front right and i had sort of these three different fronts and or these three different villains right and then they were all doing stuff, right? During the campaign, they're doing stuff, right? What they all have goals and they all have things that they're doing to achieve their goals. And those are happening independently of the characters. They are affected by the characters, but they could be happening factions. You know, you'd also call them factions. That works. Everybody's got like a different term for it. I'm not going to get too bent about the term, right? I, I mean, they're called fronts in Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master. And I'm not reprinting that anytime. I'm reprinting it. I'm reprinting it for the Kickstarter, but I'm not changing the words in it. <laughs> so think about fractions, fa factions or threats or villains or however you want to think about it. We don't always like villains because like, what if it's a giant moon flying towards you? Or what if it's weather? Or what if it's a spell that's going to rise? Is that really a villain? Eh, don't worry about it. So do I track them when I'm running a published adventure? Yes, I do. Uh, I don't tend to track them real tightly. Like I don't, I don't like, it's not part of like my weekly prep of like, okay, let's look at the fronts or let's look at the villains, right? But you can, it can be when you're thinking about your secrets and clues, I've talked about this before. You can, if you're having trouble coming up with secrets and clues, the 10 secrets and clues at step four, I think, in of the eight steps in return. When you're thinking about the secrets and clues that you want to drop in front of your characters and you're having trouble thinking about them, there's sort of different categories of secrets that you can pick. And it's like, what are some character secrets? What are some location secrets? What are some historical secrets? What are some theological secrets? And what are some villainous secrets, right? What are some secrets about villains, right? And then that last one is where you might be thinking about the, the, the villains in your campaign. Where are they now? What are they doing? What steps are they taking? But when it comes to published adventures, yeah, you, you, you know, I, I think it's just as valuable doing it for a published adventure as it is for doing it in a homebrew campaign, because it adds this level of like the world is living and the world is moving and things are happening. And I find it a far more valuable form of preparation to think about your villains, get in their eyes, think about what they're doing, think about what they want, think about the steps that they're taking is a far more valuable preparation technique than trying to think about what your characters are going to do and what they're gonna go and what path they're gonna take because you don't know, right? So it's really 
nice to kind of think about the world and what's going on in the world around the characters than it is to try to figure out what plot is going on. And I think that's a common problem for DMs is they say like, okay, well, I'm, I need the players to do X, Y, and Z. It's like, oof, the minute you say you need to do anything is the minute they're not going to do it. So... Hey, question about the Kickstarter. I'll take quick Kickstarter questions. Since you're touched on the topic, are you reprinting more of your previous books? We are only printing Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, the Lazy DMs Workbook, and the Lazy DMs Companion. We are not doing a print run of the other books because it takes a lot of, and this is something about the Kickstarter. So, you know, you insiders who happen to be watching this video, a couple things about the Kickstarter. This Kickstarter is going to be very different from other ones that I've run for, for a few reasons. One is there's not going to be any stretch goals. And the reason there's not any stretch goals is we already baked the stretch goals into the Lazy DM Companion. Uh, so rather than doing like, hey, we're adding more art or we're doing it more design or it's only 48 pages, but we're adding more pages as we go. I knew exactly what I wanted the book to look like. And I said, and 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 you'll note that the the the, the amount that, we are asking for is a lot like a lot of kickstarters are like oh we need two thousand dollars and you're like you don't need two thousand you need a lot more than two thousand so like mine's fifteen thousand it's fifteen thousand because it's going to take that amount of money to do this right and it's all of it so all the kickstarter all the stretch goals are baked in which is kind of a you know i know that some people are like that's kind of a bummer we like it when we feel like we're getting a bigger deal the more we're in it i understand but it's tricky and the reason why is that printing doing offset printing is really hard right and that's i'm totally inexperienced in it. I've not done it, which is why I'm partnering with Nord and working with New Energy, a, 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 a an actual printer to print the books. And holy cow, like you got to print a lot. Of, you have to print thousands of them. You can't just print a few. So the problem is if I if I included the other books, Fantastic Adventures, Runes of the Grander Root, Fantastic Layers, you know, I'd have to get a lot of people to buy each of them before it's worth doing a print run, before we, we not even worth, before I can afford to do a print run. You know, so that's going to be really hard. So the answer is no. The answer is the, the three books that are going to be in print are Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master in hardcover, Lazy DM's workbook in a spiral bound soft cover, and a perfect bound soft cover version of the Lazy DM Companion. Those are the three. I'm confident that I'm going to be able to do it. I should explain what is good about offset printing. Yes, I should. Thank you, Scipio. Why do we want to do offset printing? Offset printing, the, the real answer is it's going to be a much higher quality print, right? For, for a reasonable price. That's when you do... I mean, it's basic economies of scale. But when you're doing offset printing, the print quality is usually far superior to what you can get from print on demand. And recently, print on demand prices have gone way up. So if you go to DriveThruRPG and you look at premium color printing, which is very, very good, the cost per book is really expensive, right? It's really high. So doing it, working with an offset printer means you hit, hit this economy of scale. But the way you hit that economy of scale is by printing thousands of copies. So I can't guarantee that we'd get enough people. And if like 700 people said, or let's say 300 people say, I want Ruins of the Grendel Root, right? Which is probably like about as many as would want it. I can't afford to print 300 copies, right? I have to print like 2000 copies and, you know, and, that, and that's upfront money, right? And I'm not going to make enough to be able to do that. So yeah, it's, I, I wish I could. And, and, you know, I don't know. Who knows in the future? It's one of these things where like, if I had gone back and I knew how to do offset printing, it would have been nice to do offset printing for those books. But like, you don't know, like a return. I had no idea how many copies of return were going to sell. I had none, no idea at all. I really thought like it was going to be a small black and white book, soft cover, right? And, but a lot of people backed it and you know, that meant we could afford to do full color. I can't change it in the midstream like that this time because we're already starting with offset printing. So yeah, I love Ruins of the Grendel Root and it is worth the premium color print version of Ruins of the Grendel Root. 
because it is a fantastic, fantastic book. More questions. Thank you. Thank you for bringing up the question about the Kickstarter, by the way. Appreciate it. Uh, and I'm going to talk all about this. I'm going to do like during their Kickstarter, I'm going to do videos where we talk more about all this kind of stuff. So, so Tim also asked, I'd really like a video tutorial on how to run a pre-written adventure from start to finish. So I have lots of videos on YouTube where I recommend this. Check out the Sly Flourish playlists. And I think I probably replied to you in, in Patreon. These questions, by the way, are all coming from patrons of Sly Flourish. So thank you to the patrons for putting questions up and letting me answer. So yeah, the, if you look at the playlist, I put together playlists for each of the campaigns and you can pick one if you like oh I'm, I'm running Waterdeep Dragon Heist I have a whole series of videos in Waterdeep Dragon Heist I have summary videos that talk about like how you can improve it and then I have like me actually prepping the games it's about as good as I can get on how to run a pre-written adventure but I do have some articles on this too like what what to do about pre-written Drift S says have you ever run a sort of wilderness survival adventure uh, I know they're not for everybody uh, but I'd be interested to hear how you would use the checklist for wilderness exploration and survival so there's a couple ways. I've talked about point crawls before and you know, always be marketing. The Lazy DMs Companion is going to have at least two full pages about running wilderness adventures, maybe more. So I have a whole page about point crawls in there. Let's see. We can bring up the preview. Give me, give me a moment. So Uncovered Secrets and Adventure. So I have two, two PDFs that are available to patrons. Uh, Uncovered Secrets and Adventure Generators. These PDFs, most of them are going to be included in the Lazy DM Companion. These are, these are the copies that have been going out to patrons for now about a year. The patrons, we've been all working with them and playing with them and using them. They're very, I think I, I use them all the time. And there are a couple of, so there's a wilderness travel page. This is on page 27. And I think there's understanding exploration. So let's take a look at that. 16 page 15, 16. So different kinds of exploration. What does exploration mean? Progress clocks, uh, improvised ability checks. This is more about, so this is less about wilderness travel specifically. This is more about like, how do you fail forward? How do you, you know, work with a dynamic situation? This is kind of like a different way of thinking about skill challenges is, is kind of the secret undertone of this one. But it talks about like, you know, how do you run complex situations in exploration? So there's a little bit about wilderness. You can use this to kind of fuel your wilderness stuff. So wilderness travel talks about character roles, right? And so this one, I, I kind of put forward a way that you can kind of think about wilderness, wilderness travel, which is what are some of the things that are gonna get in the way and creating these sort of character roles. You have trail hands, you have scouts, you have quartermasters, you have different characters that can all sort of take on these roles and then use certain skills and then have them roll those skills. You can have group exploration and you get phases. What are the weather? What are encounters? What are notable monuments? All this sort of thing. So it's sort of a way to put a template together for running wilderness travel, you know, scenes of wilderness travel. So that's 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 a page in here. But then there's also, and then and we have point crawls, which I think I've talked about before. That's page 28, right after that one. So then we have point crawls. And and I really like point crawls for wilderness travel. That essentially notable locations and paths that take you there. And and you can use this, you know, you can use these tables to kind of generate what are the what are the locations that are there, what are some of the small locations, what are the routes that connect them. And then in the in the adventure generators, we have like lands of the fae, and I think there's wilderness exploration right in page eight so lots of stuff in this book about wilderness about wilderness travel what are some of the quests what are the landmarks what are some monstrous encounters that you might face there what are some of the paths that you'd follow so lots about wilderness travel so i think like if you combine these pages together it really offers up a pretty rich set of tools for dms to be able to do wilderness travel again all of this will be in the lazy dms companion coming being kickstarted on tuesday thank you tim 
for letting me pitch that again. Or, I'm sorry, Drift. Songbird. I love the concept of strong starts. I know that combat is common and easy, an easy strong start situation, but my players don't always want to start with combat all the time. Most of the strong start suggestions of return uh, are strong starts for campaigns. I'd love an idea for how to very strong starts in a way that keep things meaningful and moving forward. So yes, it is easy to go with combat, but also isn't always, doesn't always work. Like, you know, do you, you know, do you, I lost me. Yeah. So, because you don't want to take up a lot of time necessarily, right? You don't want to, you don't want to burn a lot. So with strong starts, the, the thing, the key to a strong start is to say what, what happens, right? Just what's happening. And, you know, the, 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 the core idea of a strong start is something happens, right? It's the beginning of the adventure and something happens, you know, and it can be lots of different things, but you want something and, it, and usually you want something, you know, pretty, pretty big and interesting to happen. And it depends on where you are in the adventure. It depends on where it goes, but almost always something. Think about like an earthquake, a small earthquake, right? Could happen. Seeing something on the horizon, right? Could, could, you know, you see a dragon fly over the horizon, right? It could be... You know, usually I want it to be something pretty fantastic. You don't want to have it be like an NPC shows up and says hello, right? Although you could, right? You could have like a caravan shows up and says hello, right? So yeah, Scipio says it's a good thing to think about for witch light. Probably some weird fey nonsense, right? Like what kind of, you know, fey wild things can happen? And what I recommend, you know, one way to do it is if you are running an adventure like, like you know, Wild Beyond the Witch Light or Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, and you say like, okay, most of the time the characters are going to be wandering around in the frozen north. They're going to be wandering around in the Feywild. Come up with 20. Come up with your own list of 20 things that can happen there, right? A geyser explodes or a, a tree uproots and starts taking a walk. You know, come up with a bunch of different things. Think And, and keep them thematic, you know, a, a big crack in the ice forms, you know, a beautiful visage of 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 not northern lights exactly, you know, but, but an aurora appears in the sky, but it appears in the shape of an owlbear, right? So make, you know, choose things that happen. I, you know, I'd love ideas for how to vary strong starts in a way that keep things meaningful and moving forward. And, and I think meaningful and moving forward is like, think about the themes of your adventure. Think about where it's going and think about like, maybe look through your secrets and clues and which one of these secrets and clues could just be exposed by some weird element. Prophecies, you know, suddenly one of the character's eyes goes to white and they have a vision of a, of a prophecy. Lots of different ways that you can do it that, that, that don't involve combat. And what I'd recommend is like, you know, give yourself a, uh, 20 minutes, right? And say, I'm, I need to come up, go for a walk, right? I love going for walks. Take a walk and say to yourself, by the end of this walk, I want to have 10 strong starts for my campaign that aren't combat, right? And then, and then think through 10. And then, you know, it's a really good, I think a really good thought exercise for that kind of thing. But, but focus on the idea of what, what happens, right? What, what can happen? What what high fantasy thing can happen so yeah so 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 i would i would that's that's kind of what i would offer there and and yeah i think it's worth talking about more maybe someday we will you know like like we'll come up with 10 10 strong starts right but that list of 10 is something i always really like to just come up with you know when you're having trouble thinking something up just stop and say i need to come up with a list of 10 of these right and then come up with a 10 and it really shakes your mind up and gives you gives you good ideas i think we got time for one more question so kevin b asks Hey, Mike, can you offer some tips on running NPCs so they actually convey the information you need them to? It seems really unnatural for them to start blurting out important details. It's especially hard with bad guys when it's not really in their best interest to share. Is there a good way to make sure my NPCs act more like characters and less like random normal people? I, I don't think, I mean, if, you know, I, I, I'm 
my, my opinion is like, we can hang on a little loose, right? And it's okay for the characters to learn things in sort of obvious ways, right? I don't, I don't think we, I, I get that that's like, it makes sense that my villain wouldn't spoil their whole big plan, but they might talk about their plan to somebody else and the characters might overhear it. They, you know, and, and I mean, it's like, it's worked in James Bond for like 70 years, right? That like villains are constantly talking about what their plan is. So I don't, I don't, I wouldn't hang on too tight. I wouldn't worry about it too much. And I'm, I'm, I kind of believe that it's better for NPCs to reveal too much than to reveal too little, because it's so easy for players to get lost and they're only going to pick up half of what we're saying anyway. So sometimes you really have to just like drop it on the table in front of them. Yeah, the enemy's journal is always good, right? Enemy wrote down their plans and put it up on a thing. You know, that's a good one. You know, them being able to overhear it, right? Them scrying. Like, you know, players love to be able to spy on the villains. And if they can spy on the villains and learn things, that's that's really great. Henchmen who know stuff that are willing to turncoat, right? That that can work really well. So, yeah, I, I yeah, the first thing I would recommend is is lean towards too much rather than too little. And, and it, it's okay if it's a little wacky, right? It's kind of funny. Like, wow, this guy was really useful. He told us everything. Like, yeah, you know. So, but it's okay. Like, I don't think the stereotypes, I don't think the tropes are so bad. I think the, 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 the villainous monologue is funny, right? And it's okay. You could also go with the, you know, which I'm, I'm, I plan to do in my Frostmaiden game, I think. Oh, I, I did kind of do it with my Frostmaiden game. I did it with my Wednesday Frostmaiden game. I won't be able to do it in my Sunday game because they went a different path. Where the villain is like, hey, let me tell you my whole big plan. By the way, it happened 30 minutes ago, right? And and I love that in in uh, Watchmen, right? When Azamandius is like, are you? do you seriously think I'm going to sit here and tell you my whole plan and make sure it didn't happen? It already happened, right? And like, what? And then they turn on New York as a whole, right? So... Or a giant squid monster dropped on New York, depending on your on your avenue. Yeah, uh, someone brings up Thumper, right? The, the the villainous the villainous Herald, right, loves to talk about what the what the group is going to do. And a lot of times, if they're like really like mustache twirling villains, they're so overly confident they don't think the characters can stop them. Right now, if you got a really smart villain like Leto Skull in my Eberron campaign, was a very smart villain, right? He was not an idiot, and he was not he was playing a lot of different sides, but you know. They did a lot of, you know, they, they figured out what he was doing and they would kind of piece things together. And there were spies uh, spying on other spies and there was people that turn code and there's all kinds of information that they got. So they still learned a lot, even though Leto Skull didn't blow it. Right. And maybe they'd learn it after the fact or they'd have to. Did he get on an airship and he went he went northeast? Where is he going northeast? Oh, my God, he's going to the Mornland. Right. So, yeah. Anyway, I would say lean in towards offering too much. Don't worry too much about like my my villain is acting like an idiot. And then try to find other other avenues. You know, I I one time ran a campaign where I used like one-time pads and Caesar ciphers. You can look these up online that the the villain would like send secret notes out to other people and they'd capture the note and they'd have to use a Caesar cipher to decode the note. And it worked pretty well, right? We had we had I had players that were able to figure it out. You know, that was probably a little bit much. I don't really do stuff like that these days. But, you know, you can you can yeah, the, the villainous journal, you know, scrying like boy, if you if your characters get an opportunity to scry on a villain and learn the plan that way, they love that. So, yeah, I think that's I think that's what I have to offer on that. So 
We are at an hour. I want to thank everybody for hanging out with me today on Twitch and for watching the YouTube video and listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show today. If you want to help me out, you can do so in uh, five, five different ways. We'll start with the big one. One, you can support the Lazy DM Companion Kickstarter, available on Kickstarter right now. Links are in the notes. Uh, two, you can support me directly on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash slyflourish and becoming a patron of Sly Flourish. Three, you can subscribe to my videos on YouTube. Four, you can subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter. And five, you can pick up any of my other existing books. I, I would say if you want return in the workbook, you should probably wait for the Kickstarter now. But you can pick up Ruins of the Grendel Root. You can pick up Fantastic Lairs and Fantastic Adventures and my other books uh, like that. Thank you all very much for watching and listening to this show today. And I will see you next week. Enjoy your week and get out there and play some D&D.